0: I got some news for you. We're not going to Mark today. We're not going to Mark for a while. Uh, and if you are happy about that, then I'm sorry. Uh, uh, but we've been in a series going through Mark a little bit at a time, and we're going we're gonna to hit pause on that and pick it up probably not until the summertime because the church calendar is about to start rolling. Advent's not far away, and then Lent is not far, too far after that. So go to the book of Ruth, the Old Testament, Ruth chapter 1. Um, several years ago i uh taught through the book of ruth over a couple Sundays and have always just loved this book and felt like there was so much there for us um just as followers of the lord and it's a it's a short book and so we'll be able to knock that out in november and then in december we you know start advent um so there's not a lot that i need to tell you about the book of ruth because the 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 book really does its it tells its own story and so um We'll do a lot of reading today, but it'll be, it'll be the good kind. So let's start at the beginning of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a, a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilan. They were uh, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, he died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilan died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, so let's stop right there to recap. Um, this is very important background information on the, the whole trajectory of, of the book. Um, so you have a, a family that travels from Bethlehem Uh, A mom, a a dad and their two sons travel from Bethlehem into a, into basically into a foreign country because there's no, there's a famine in Bethlehem and they go to Moab to try to find food. Uh, They establish life there and the dad passes away and then the two sons, they get married. They marry local women. And so you have Israelite, an Israelite family in foreign territory in Moabite territory. They take Moabite wives, and then the two sons die, and so you're left with Naomi, the the mother-in-law, and then her two daughters-in-law, um, um, Orpa and Ruth. So uh, that's just just to make it make sure that we're on the same page. Naomi is Jewish. Ruth and Orpa are are Moabite. So you're talking about completely different uh, nationalities, uh, cultures, all that kind of stuff. But they have ten years together as a family. So let's pick up in verse. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Okay, so let's hit pause one more time. Naomi hears that Bethlehem has has like the famine is over with. That's her homeland. She's been gone for ten years, uh, maybe more, and so she s- says, "I have no husband," I, which in that day meant she had no covering. Uh, she was the, one of the most vulnerable people uh, during that time. You had widows and you had orphans, and they were the most vulnerable in in the entire culture. There was no one to take care of them. There was no one obligated to look after them. So she's in a foreign land. She has no people there. She hears that the famine is over. Says, "I'm going to go back home to where maybe my chances of survival are actually better over there." You girls stay here. This is your. This is your place. Um, you, you guys are like, you can remarry and, and all that kind of stuff. Your future is very different than mine. So, uh, I'm, I'm cutting you loose from uh, the family essentially for their own good, because being a widow in the ancient near East was a terrifying thing. Um, so look at verse 10, verse 10. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, my my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Okay, so um, they're having this dialogue back and forth. And the daughters, they're resistant to abandoning her and separating from her and uh, Naomi is obviously working through a lot of her own grief and her own stuff, which makes sense. She's in a foreign land. Uh, her w- husband and sons have died. Uh, she is without covering, without protection in that culture. Uh, it's a bad place to be. Um, but she's like, but that shouldn't impact you. You guys go on. And Orpah is basically like, okay, I get it. I'm going to do that. But Ruth, Ruth it says it, she clung to her. like She literally like grabs onto her. Um, and let look at what Ruth says next. And this is probably one of the more, the more, uh, known passages related to Ruth this is what Ruth's, uh, this is what their dialogue looks like now. This is Naomi and Ruth together. She said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and, and to her gods return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go. I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. I mean, what you gonna say? What you gonna say to that? You know, like Ruth just like told her, just read her. You know, this is what's gonna happen. Um, and that's what we're going to stop for, for today, like that much of the story. And as I was reading through it and, and uh, just like doing some more study and things like that, I, I, I really, I was just kind of amazed at Ruth's story up to this point. Like if you, um, if you take what the Bible tells us and you kind of like go a more, more like bird's eye view, at just how much transformation had happened in Ruth's life. Um, I'm not talking about circumstantial transformation. I'm talking about this, this internal. There's something about her that the text has already like rolled out that just seems to be um, worth noting. It's, it's amazing. So think, think about her story up, up to this point. So she grows up a, a Moabite. And, um, I don't know how much, you know, about them. There's not a ton that I was. I mean, I I learned some stuff, but there wasn't anything that was like really stood out to me a whole lot. Um, but they were, they were in the same region as, as Israel. And so they were, uh, they were rivals. They were Canaanites. They worshiped other gods. They worshiped the gods that, that the God of Israel, Yahweh, that he told them, like, you don't, you don't worship those gods. You don't, you don't really even need to be around those people too much. You don't really even need to like marry outside of, of like, of Israel because of how much influence that's going to happen on, that's going to have on you. Like there, this was a completely different world. One, one of their gods that they worshiped is named Molech. And I've talked about him before uh, a few weeks, uh, a few weeks back where we're talking about, um, Child sacrifice in the ancient near East, and Molech was one of the gods. there would be this this giant statue of this like dog looking let 's call him a dog so he 's a dog and he 's got his like hands paws whatever uh, it 's this statue and he 's doing like this, and they would build a fire around the base of this metal statue and get it as hot as possible. And then uh, parents would come and they would bring their firstborn child and throw the baby up into the hands of the God so that the baby would be sacrificed so that Molech would then bless them. So she comes from a like child sacrifice kind of culture. That's like that's kind of like what we do, you know? Um, so she grows up in that culture with their own gods. Uh, then she marries an Israelite, which would not have gone over very well am- among her people, uh, to marry a foreigner, to marry a rival, um, so then she enters into this completely new way of life. She marries into this Jewish family, and we know enough about the Old Testament to know that uh, that was a very they have a lot of different kinds of practices and forms of worship and all that. So she has ten years trying to adjust to this new kind of family system. Um, then she loses her father-in-law and has to like kind of walk through that. Um, then she loses her husband and her like brother-in-law. So she goes through triple loss. And then has to face being a, probably a fairly young widow in the ancient Near East, which was, uh, like I said, it was terrifying because you had no one to look out f- for you. Um, so, like, this is what her life has looked like. And notice, notice if we, if you look back at verse 8, look at how Naomi, her mother-in-law, describes Ruth, like, in terms of her character, um, verse eight, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, at first it's like, she's like, you've been really sweet to me and to, you know, my sons and my daughter, like you've been really nice through all this. I hope that God is also nice to you. And that's, that's certainly how it reads in, in English. This is one of the times when like the fact that we are not reading out of hebrew bibles kind of uh is a disadvantage to us because the word kindly right there that word is one of really one of the most important words in in the entire bible it's a hebrew word uh, called hesed h e s e d uh, there 's probably some sort of like guttural thing in there that i won 't subject you to uh, in pronouncing it let 's just let's go with Hesed. Um, this is a word that that doesn 't really have a, a like verbatim English like equivalent um, it 's usually translated into English as things like kindness, faithfulness, mercy, goodness, loyalty, or steadfast love. That's one of the things uh, that we're always trying to do like in terms of like textual study is figure out what, what in English accurately communicates what's going on here. Um, and so it's kind of a combination of, of all of those things, but um, we, we find this word used like in a lot of different places, actually. Um, here's a three real quick. Exodus 34, 6 it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love. That's Hesed. And so this, this formula is really found, it's found throughout the Bible. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's, it's everywhere. That's the word Hesed right there. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word mercy, that's that's Hesed. And so they translated it mercy. And so saying that the 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 goodness and the Hesed of, of the Lord are going to um it sounds nice of like it'll follow me, but it really the terminology there is like when when you would like stalk an animal to hunt. Or when you are tracking down your enemies, you are following them. It's it's this idea that the Hesed of the Lord is like in is in like pursuit of me all the time. He's trying to hunt me down and pummel me with Hesed, Uh, which sounds really violent, but it's actually beautiful. Um, Micah six eight says, "He's told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness. That's Hesed." And to walk humbly with your God, and really, when, when we are talking about Hasid, all throughout the Old Testament, this is used uh, by God to describe what He does. Like this is Him saying that this is my like how I will relate to my people. Um, he's entered into this covenant relationship with His people, and He's bound Himself to act in certain ways toward them. And so, if we're looking for a way to really understand this probably if you were to take goodness and faithfulness and mercy and kindness and steadfast love and push all those together, it's probably this idea that we need to think of in terms of like, there's a commitment that is, that is a loving and loyal, like like commitment to his people. That's what has said is surely goodness and his committed loyal love to his people are going to follow you all the days of your life like those kinds of things so all that to say if you go back into the fact that this is how her mother-in-law describes her that's a very like non-moabite kind of way to talk about someone that's a very like israelite concept that has said would be how god relates to us and how we relate to one another if you were to look for a New Testament, New Testament equivalent, maybe agape would be very similar. God's agape, like self-sacrificing love to us, and then we are that way to him and to one another. Hesed is to us and us to him and to one another. All that to say, how does someone go, how does someone go from being, growing up in a child sacrifice, foreign God culture to being described by her mother-in-law? as like treating her with Hesed, with the same committed, loyal love that God shows to his people. How how do you become, like how do you transform into that? We don't know a lot about her backstory, but I'm just kind of deducing a couple of things. But then if you jump to what she actually says to her mother-in-law, so let's add to that, Ruth's declaration of commitment um, it's really remarkable because she's going through basically the worst season of her life, grieving the loss of her husband and facing a very uncertain future as a widow in the ancient Near East. And yet her language is not that of a Moabite. It's, it's, it's that of an Israelite, but more than that, it's, it's the language of the God of Israel. And here's what I mean. Let's look again at what she says. Verse 16. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. And this is the the part, like, remember this part. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if, if anything but death parts me from you. Okay, so the reason I say this sounds like God is because in Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, this is what he tells his people. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Now, it isn't verbatim, but it's a whole lot of the same stuff. That what God is promising to his people, Ruth is promising to Naomi. In Exodus 29, 45 and the He says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the hand of out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. This this is the language of Hesed. there. Ruth has become. She has transformed. She is not who she used to be. How? how does that, how does that happen? You know, like you don't, you don't just fake that kind of stuff. She could have just walked away from Naomi. She could have, um, looked after her own interests, but there's, she was not the person that she used to be. Like something had happened and I, and I couldn't get away from that idea. And I'd wish we had like a, Ruth, the teenage years kind of thing to be able to like show you hardcore proof. But there, there's no way that someone who grew up a Moabite is going to just do this. Something had to happen. How, how did that, how is she going through the worst season of her life and yet has this kind of character and this kind of godliness? So I started to ask myself, what what, what did God use to forge her into this kind of person? Because isn't that, isn't that what we're all like wanting to be? Aren't we all wanting to be the kind of person who can go through the worst things that life has to throw at you? And you're still like like treating other people with the hesed, agape of, of God. Don't you want to be the kind of person who um, in, in the midst of the turmoil is still able to be like the person that God has made you to be? Don't you hate it when something happens and then all of a sudden it's like Jekyll and Hyde and you become like this other person and then you're like, why did I freak out like that? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I, you know, whatever it may be. Don't we want to be those people who are anchored? So as the storms come, yeah, we get tossed and turned, but we're not like, we're not drifting. You know, we're like embedded in this one thing. I I want to be that person. I bet you want to be that person. Ruth seems to be one of those people that's going through darkness and yet is able to have some things intact. I want to know what God what did you what did you use to forge her into that kind of person? And then I feel like he just kind of very kindly said family. Like God brought her into a family. He brought her into a family. And that is what he used to forge her, to make her into this kind of person. And then it started to make sense because God, like he's a family, he's a family creator. He's a, he generates families all like all the time. It's like what he does. Like, you know, so I say family and some of you are like, you roll your eyes. Some of you just checked out and you're like, oh, here we go. Family. Some of you, the term family is like, it's just the best. You're like, I love my family, you know, all that stuff. Others of you, your greatest source of wounds have been people that you are related to. You know, um, maybe in in between somewhere, but you know, family carries baggage for all of us. And if we can, let's just like maybe put that aside for a, a minute, because I may not be talking about family in the sense that you are thinking of it. Um, the scriptures speak of families being formed in you know, like um, two ways. One will be biology. So people have kids and that's like forming a like family connection. That's very clear, but um, families are also formed through covenants and probably there are more families formed through covenants than there are biologically because you, whenever you get married, that's a covenant. You have two people that are not biologically related and they enter into a covenant and then they become family in that way. Two strangers become family. Uh, Adoption takes someone who is not biologically related to you and makes them family. Um, friendship kind of does the same thing though if you think about it like don't you have like people who you are not biologically related to but they are maybe as close or closer than some that you are related to biologically like friendship it like forms these like bonds as well um church church there's a church covenants like there's a there's a family creation that god has grouped uh, all of his saints into little churches everywhere, and like family is a part of what he does there. Um, and there's this big, big picture idea of just the, the new covenant has created this family, and so so God is making families through biology and through covenant making all the time. Uh, there's something to be noted there. The main idea is when you take people who are strangers and you join them together, and the, and the, but then there's a like a bond that is formed, so you can you can join people together and say that they're family but they really aren't family like in the in the heart sense until they start to connect with each other that's why you don't marry someone after the first date right like you have to you have to connect you have to bond there has to be something that's there before you become family that's why like in all these these like different kinds of covenant making there's like you you have to have that connection first in Proverbs 27, verse 17, God tells us uh, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And family can be one of those, like, it's like a forge. Where God like He heats up our lives and He uses our lives like in that friction and that tension and that that bonding and all those kind of things to like shape us into who he wants us to be. Family is where that happens. That happens now that can be biological family, that can be church family, that can be community group, that can be groups of friends, that can be this church, it can be the global church. There's all these different environments, but that idea of family is found in in all of them. And God has a history of using those family connections to transform us and shape us and grow us. It happens in our day all the time. We see it all throughout the history of God's people. We see it in the New Testament and we see it in the Old Testament as well. Let me revisit this with Ruth real quick. So Ruth joins a family by covenant but then, then she had to bond with them. She had to bond with them. And so um, this family, they must have modeled their faith for her. You know, They had to have taught her. How, is, how else is she quoting Yahweh? You know? So this family must have been devoted. They must have modeled it. They must have taught her. They must have discipled her as a, as a Moabite. Um, she had to become an Israelite in these ways. That bonded them together, ten years of life together. She's immersed in this like family rhythm. And God uses immersion to transform us and shape us and grow us. Like you, you have to have that context and you can't just do just these like in and out kind of visit kind of things. You have to like immerse yourself in a culture. Uh, I once heard it explained of like it's a difference between learning if you want to learn Spanish, you can you can get flashcards and learn words, or you can move to Mexico for six months which one is going to, is going to be faster and more efficient. You know, immersion is, is going to, that's how you're going to learn something new. Ruth was immersed in this uh, and all those connections, walking through the death of her father-in-law with Naomi and the others, walking through the death of her husband and her brother-in-law, all these things um, like bonded them together. Have you ever walked through grief with someone? But I mean, you are forever connected to them. Have you, ever, have you ever been at a funeral for someone that you were close to and someone, you, someone walked into the funeral that you didn't necessarily expect to be there? You're, you're connected to them. Like it means so much when, that, when those things happen. Um, and so like the grief that they had gone through, the fact that Ruth and her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law are having to figure out, how are we going to survive as widows in this culture? How is this going to even happen? So it's no wonder that, that as Naomi's trying to cut them loose, they're weeping. They're crying out to each other. They're like, uh, she got clung to her. That's a very powerful word in, in Hebrew. All these things make sense. Ruth, uh, like Naomi calls her daughter, she doesn't say daughter in law. I don't have a mother in law, but apparently sometimes that could be a little bit of a strange relationship. But She doesn't say, oh, my daughter's in law, you know. She says, my daughters, like there, there's a, there's a specialness that's there. Family was the context for Ruth's transformation. And look, here's, here, here's like the landing point, really, I think. She didn't need her circumstances to improve in order to become who God made her to be. I'll say, let me say it again. She didn't need her circumstances to improve in order for her to become who God like, created her to be. She just had to walk through life with God's people. She just had to walk through the changes of life, the challenges of life, the best and worst that life has to bring. She had to walk through that surrounded by God's people. And in that family context, he transformed her life. In fact, spoiler alert, um, she goes on to marry a guy named Boaz and they have a son named Obed and Obed has a son named Jesse and Jesse has a son named David and David will be the king, which is not the best thing about David. The best thing about David is that he had kids and they had kids and eventually there's this kid born, uh, his name is Jesus. And so Ruth is in the family lineage of Jesus himself. You want to talk about transformation, But her character didn't get sharp and godly once all her circumstances got better. Her character was intact from going through the garbage that life brings and the hard stuff. But she didn't do it alone. Now, you and me, our story really really is not that different from hers. Like... God is still transforming lives and he's still using family to do it. In your life, right? Like in this moment, God has all kinds of things that he wants to use to transform your life. Ruth, she didn't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one today for sure. She didn't have a Bible. She didn't have the, the, like a church to go to. She didn't have commentaries to study and learn all these interesting things about Hebrew, Hebrew words, you know. She didn't have the Holy Spirit living in her, empowering her efforts to grow in godliness, you know. She just had a faithful family that loved her and showed her who God is, and God used that to change her life. And so you and I, we're, we have a lot more resources, but He's still using family. That one has not gone away. And think about it for a second. She went from being an enemy to being family, from being a Moabite to being an Israelite. We also have gone from being enemies to being family. Here's a couple of scriptures I'm going to throw at you. You don't need to turn, just just soak them in. Ephesians 2, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You used to be a stranger, and now by the blood of Christ, He has brought you close to Him. A little bit further down in Ephesians two, it says, "So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone." In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So He's saying you used to be you used to be like ostracized. Now, by the blood of Christ, you've been brought near, and He is building you into this family, like a, a real family. Galatians four. Says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, um, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. So Ruth's trajectory of going, being, from an enemy into being family, we we have are on the same pathway. Um, Ruth learned through immersion. She was, she was surrounded by people who were, were like, like loving Yahweh and being faithful to what he called them to. Um, We're the same way. Like we, we don't practice our faith on an Island. He's gathered us together. Uh, We learned through immersion as well. Here's a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near Colossians three, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the father through him. See we're we're immersed in this. That's, that's why we gather on a Sunday is to put you in the middle of a room of, of people who are in all different places and we're going to throw these songs up there and some of them you know and some of them you don't know and it's fine but when you begin to hear people sing, it reminds you of some things. It, it recalibrates. Even if you're not the one singing, it's like, man, it's just good to hear, hear that and be surrounded by that and be reminded of these things and to have these truths put in front of us and we study the scriptures together and we pray together and then we are sent back out because we're not supposed to stay here. We're supposed to go. And so the family gathers on Sunday, and we have small groups that gather, and and that's the same thing. It's giving you a family to walk through your life with because, here's another here's my, another point, um, her circumstances were shifting, and yet God was steadily forming her. Same thing with us. You're going through life, and, and everything's going fine, and then suddenly you get a phone call, or you get a text message, or you find out something, or, or you have, there's just... I don't know, life is just up and down, up and down, up and down. For you to have people around you that walk with you through those things, that's crucial. And people say, why, you know, why, why do you want us to go to Sunday church and do a Tuesday night community group? Well, I got to do both. Well, they're, they're meeting two very different needs. If you want to be transformed, put yourself in environments that God has proven to use to transform. Put yourself in front of a Bible. Put yourself in with him in prayer. Put yourself in a small group of people who are all studying the word together and praying for one another. Put yourself in a little bit larger group of people who are going to sing and practice uh, and take communion and do all these things together. Put yourself in those environments. In other words, you've got a bunch of little family groups, family gatherings. Put yourself in one. Immerse yourself in it. Because your circumstances will shift and change and God will use them to transform you. Ruth had to bond with them. Um, we have to bond with each other. They were, they were together for 10 years. This transformation didn't happen overnight for her. This was a 10-year process of God changing and morphing and getting them to trust one another. Basically, walking out said together. Ruth didn't need her circumstances to get, to improve in order for her to become, she just had to walk through that stuff with, with the people of God. And the same thing is the case for you and for me. Like we want our circumstances to change. Of course, like that's who, who wouldn't want that? But the really, really important thing is you go through whatever it is and you just don't do it by yourself. If you're visiting with us today, or if you've been looking for a church to become a part of, um, our heart is that you would never walk through stuff alone. We weren't created to live on an island, and so um, whether it's this church or another church, finding a group of people, a group of God's people to walk through stuff with is that is going to be key for you, and God will change your life through it. That's the forge. That's where like He heats up the metal. And the iron sharpening iron refines one another as we go. So I think there's three very quick takeaways. One, for I think this should strengthen your faith, um, proving that God is, really is trustworthy. You know, that here she is going through all these difficult things, and yet God is refining her and making her more like Himself. God is trustworthy, even if your circumstances are, are awful. He's trustworthy for Ruth and for you. Second thing is, I, I think it should give us all hope to see a life transform like that. And we, she had far less resources than us. Like God can use the most simple things to change us and grow us. Whatever you are hoping to see your life morph into and become and change, uh, Ruth is a reminder that that is very possible in the hands of God. And the third thing is I hope this evokes, evokes a deep love for the Lord and for his church and for his people. Um, that he has, has made us family. He's connected us to him as father, Jesus as brother, um, but one another as like fellow bearers of the image of God, as sons and daughters, as siblings together, that there's a, a beauty to what he has created and done. And whatever it is that you're going through today, these things apply I hope that that you would be encouraged and reminded that your circumstances don't have to change in order for God to use what you're going through to make you more like himself. And so um, we have a couple of ways that we do response time here. And if you've been here a bunch of times and you know everything I'm about to say, but if you haven't been here a bunch of times, I want to explain it really quickly. Because when you if something is stirring within you and you want to pray, we want to give you a chance to do that. You can sit right where you are and pray. You can come kneel at these steps and pray. We'll have some folks on the front row that would pray with you if you just need to you know, pray with someone or take somebody with you. It doesn't matter. We're going to give you that that chance. Um, we're going to have two communion uh, stations up here with some folks serving. Because the, the family creation that Ruth went through it was beautiful and amazing, but it pales in comparison to what Jesus has done. That Jesus is Jesus has invited us in by the blood of Christ. We have been brought near, and so they'll be serving communion as a physical reminder of what He has done. You take the bread and you dip it in the juice and then, and you take it, and they're going to say, "The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you." That is that is the adoption process that He went through for us, and. He did it from his from hesed, from agape, from all those incredible things. So you can pray, you can receive communion. And of course, you can sing, and um, that's always a welcome thing. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to enter into a time of response, uh, whatever's stirring. Won't you stand with me, Father? I'm thankful for. Um, I'm thankful for this really old text that we have. and um, Just for a life that... A life that was really just... That was changed in ways that only you can do. And as we go through the rest of the book, I and mean, we're going to see all these amazing things that came later. But at this point in the story, Ruth's in a pretty miserable situation. And yet... Uh, she is, she's acting and speaking like you, which proves that you've done something in her life. And so I pray God that you would strengthen faith and, uh, bring hope and evoke love and, um, whatever is stirring within us this morning, as we sing and pray and receive communion and just as we're together as a family, um, just remind us that this is a one of the contexts for transformation for us. So as we respond to you, may your may your will be done during this time. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Alright, our t- tables are open, you can come whenever you're ready.